0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women-identified directors that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I am your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the lovely and always fascinating, Ariel. Hi. (laughs) Hey, girl. How are you? I'm doing okay. Okay. All right. It's been a couple weeks. You know, I enjoy hearing the latest chapter in the madness that is your life <laughs> that we've got ghosts we've got pizza ghosts we've got creepy textures that want to have uh um team sport activities with you yes. we've got a humpy hump neighbor like you, there's so much happening within 30 feet of you at all times so what's the latest Okay. I knew it. You never let me down.
1: (laughs) So last time we talked, you had suggested that I try this whole camera through the peephole thing. Yes. Okay. I was never able to make that that successful to get the camera to focus in on my peephole to be able to see through okay and eddie from our discord had suggested i create some home alone style traps outside my front door
0: i also mm. was not i didn't do that <laughs> okay oh, okay all right i was like i hope eddie's ready to pitch on the the bail area <laughs> jail fund <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i did get something left on my front door i'm gonna send you a picture okay
0: Uh oh my another delivery
1: yes i got another delivery (sighs) see it started
0: with a ghost but this is deeply corporeal so (laughs) unless this is a ghost in the machine that is able to just door dash you things there has to be some sort of human admirer somewhere on the discord okay what Okay, (laughs) this is the most Pacific Northwest mating call I have ever seen in my life. Ruby Grapefruit White Claw just left on your porch. Yep, just left there.
1: I got back home and it was just sitting there waiting for me, I guess. What is (laughs) going on? It's super strange. It was also really weird because I don't know if you remember, but over this past weekend, we had a huge heat wave here. And yeah. DJ from our Discord and from the Cast of Call podcast that you're on, he had posted a picture of a White Claw popsicle that he had made Yeah, <laughs> during the heat wave. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, that's such a good idea. I wish I had White Claw in the house because I want one of those. And then like the <gasps> next day this showed up on my front
0: door. Okay. New theory. Okay. You are psychically manifesting things. Holy were shit, you craving were a pizza before the pizza arrived?
1: God, I don't remember, but honestly, I crave pizza a lot. So it's
0: entirely possible. Oh my, you're like that kid from the Twilight Zone movie. <gasps> Whatever you imagine comes true. You are a Stephen King novel. <laughs> but a White Claw, holy shit. Right? It's weird, isn't it? Let's hope he, I mean, he must assume that you're over 21 or this is a this is an admirer that is happy to uh, risk you know, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Because <laughs> um, now he's leaving alcohol for you. Now, here's the thing. With the pizza, Yeah, you couldn't really eat it because it was open. Right. But I feel like I could drink the White Claw, right? This I have sealed. it in my fridge. so I would do like a quick inspection to make sure. I mean, but no, you'll know because if there's any tampering with it, it'll be flat when you pour oh, it out. Good point. Good so point. you have a built-in security system with this White Claw yeah enjoy i wouldn't it? drink it directly from the can you know but right. you could rinse off the top and pour it into a glass and enjoy a nice carbonated alcoholic beverage on a 115 degrees <laughs> a day right
1: i feel like i could yeah i think i'm gonna drink it i think i'm gonna drink okay. it yeah so you haven't been able to i have caught nothing on camera unfortunately so i think that plan is a wash it didn't really work maybe i needed a more expensive camera or something i did okay this is stupid but i did try setting up my phone Uh to do it but i used my stepladder to put it up by the oh oh yeah but then my cats knocked it over it
0: was a disaster (laughs) it was a disaster I mean, I appreciate how industrious you are with this. <laughs> okay, so I think maybe we have to go analog. If digital is failing us, it's time to go analog. Okay, well, what's the analog version? Okay, so I'm li- I've am never seen a picture of your front door, so I didn't realize it is a white claw sitting atop a doormat. Yeah. So you could maybe write a note and stick it out so the edge is sticking out from underneath the, the thing. You could pass a note. Oh,
1: Yeah. Okay, maybe I'll try that. What should I say on the note, though? Mm-hmm. Thank you for the white claw. Can I have more, please?
0: I mean, I'm trying to think if you should just be like, thanks so much for the pizza and the white claws. I want to thank you. I want to I be able to thank you personally. Leave your number.
1: <laughs> Leave me your digits.
0: Because <laughs> then one of two things will happen. You'll put the number in and your phone will be like, you already know this person. And then you'll be like, oh, oh, oh it's my neighbor. Bob, he's so nice and probably doesn't have a murder basement. Or <laughs> you're going to find out, is someone new? And potentially you could hear the phone when you t- text them. If it's the guy oh, upstairs, you can make things really, it. wait yeah. for like a quiet moment and when you know he's home. And also make sure your apartment is quiet and then listen carefully to see if you can get a <laughs> notification. Then you'll know it's the guy above you. And I mean, like I said, dude gets a lot of action and it seems to me, you know. He has a seduction style. It's and whoever this person clearly has a seduction style. It's it's unconventional, but I don't know about you. It's caught my attention.
1: That's true. I am. I have spent a lot of time thinking about it. As have you, apparently.
0: Well, I mean, so. we're always talking about you know, talk is cheap. You want someone who is going to put some action into it, and not be able to spend a, spend a little bit. Is white claw or pizza really expensive? No, but he's dropping it on the regular. Or- <laughs> I'm just saying this person has a financial investment in this already. <laughs> so I, I think that shows potential. Yeah. Well, I kept thinking with the pizzas that
1: maybe it was a mistaken delivery thing and not a ghost or somebody intentionally doing it. But I feel like the white claw is a little bit different. There's more intention there. Somebody right. didn't just, you know, mistakenly Postmates me a pizza. to the wrong Right. Dress. I mean,
0: this is not someone you can't. I don't think you can Postmate a white claw right that is part of a set <laughs> that has been broken up <laughs> and he picked a good flavor he i don't know they picked a good flavor pizza and white cloth feels like a dude move that's why i keep saying guy but yeah, i guess we don't I really actually yeah. yes. know there's a masculine energy to a cheese pizza and a white cloth <laughs> at least in the pacific northwest right yeah. so huh <laughs> All right.
1: Well, I will keep you posted. I will I I'll put a note out there and we'll see what happens.
0: This is seriously the most exciting thing happening in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to get out of this house. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking white claw. Wow. That is a twist I did not see coming. Right? I wonder if he sw- if they switched to white claw because they saw the pizzas were not being eaten.
1: Oh, maybe. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, I never ate a pizza, so that makes sense. And I did bring this inside my house, so yeah. maybe it'll change things. We'll right? see. Let's <laughs> just put it in the universe.
0: What do you want next? Let's just see if you can manifest it. What do you want next?
1: Mm, what do I want next?
0: Uh, it has to be something that you
1: can actually enjoy.
0: So, Oh, that's hard. Right? But it needs to be
1: something packaged.
0: Yeah. How the White Claw is, you know hermetically sealed you can enjoy this beverage because you'll know the minute you pour it out if it's flat it's it been tampered with which will also give you some information about the person that's leaving you these things <laughs> if we have definitive proof that he's tampering, they are oh, tampering <laughs> things with you then then we escalate things in a different direction we don't write right. notes we don't write notes no no that would be do you want to open the white claw right now so we can hear when you can it if it has is I could. Or, do you want me to? Well, I mean, here's the thing, though: is do you feel like drinking a white claw right now?
1: I mean, no. I don't. Okay, know then. Make it okay. To the end of the episode. <laughs> it's one of those giant ones.
0: Oh wow! Okay, it's not one of the little guys. It's, it's like a like little twenty-two. Okay. okay. Oh, oh. Well, that is an individual item. That changes things. I still don't think you can postmate a white claw though. And wait, hold on. You'd have to sign for it because it's alcohol. Oh, that's true. I'd have to show ID. Yes. Yeah. So, no, this pers- this is a personally delivered white
1: glove. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, somebody totally
0: left that on my doorstep. So we have solved the mystery of whether or not the pizzas were being delivered by accident. They were okay. not. Okay. I feel like we have definitive proof. Okay. <laughs> and I feel like Jessica Fletcher up in this band. Like, yes! <laughs> I am impressed. you were a good detective. <laughs> All these detective video games are finally paying off. <laughs> <laughs> White Claw. Ooh, I'm so intrigued. Yeah. Right. I right. think let's start manifesting some stuff. Like, is there a beverage you would prefer to a White Claw?
1: I mean, a White Claw is pretty good. All right. What about a flavor them. besides
0: That's ruby sweet. grapefruit?
1: Uh, the last one I had was mango. That was pretty tasty.
0: Okay. So let's manifest a mango White Claw and see if it happens. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, universe.
1: <laughs> Bring it to me. <laughs>
0: Thank you for being such a good sport and letting me live vicariously through your weird porch (laughs) adventure. What does it say about
1: me, though, that I'm secretly hoping it's not a guy, but that I'm doing it myself and that I like you think you might be
0: sleep white clawing yourself. (gasps) Oh, my God. Okay, so I guess the question is, do you find these after you have just woken up?
1: No, I'm finding them when I get home.
0: Okay, that you're not doing it to yourself then. Okay. You're like physically not present unless you're doing it when you walk out the door, except for that the pizzas have been hot. Yeah, that's true. Hot and ready pizza, like Little Caesars. Oh my goodness. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> He's hot and ready like a Little Caesars pizza. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Moving. I'm going to cut myself off. <laughs> okay. So today we are going to be talking about the movie *Censor*, directed by Prano Bailey Bond. But before we get into that, can you please let our listeners know, in case anybody in the crowd is new, what our spoiler policy is?
1: Yeah. So we are going to give you some general thoughts about the movie and whether we think it's worth checking out, and where you can find it. And then after that, we're going to get into spoiler stuff. And at that point. We're going to tell you everything that happens in the movie. And this one does have some twists and turns. So if that's something that bothers you, go watch it and then come on back. Otherwise, just stick
0: with us. Yeah, definitely. All right. So now this was a me pick. So I did all of the homework. Would you like to know a little bit about the director and the background of the movie? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, good. Because I wrote a lot of notes. (laughs) And I want to share them with you. Okay, awesome. (laughs) Sometimes there is... Not a ton of background information. A lot Mm -hmm. of these people are first-time directors or are very private or whatever the case may be. That is not the case here. I actually have a lot of information today. Awesome. (laughs) So strap in, because this is going to be a little bit of a long one, but she's really interesting. Like so many of these women directors that we're featuring, the more you hear about them, the more you're just like, of course you're making interesting movies because you're an interesting person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So. Prano Bailey Bond is a Welsh director and she was named the twenty twenty one Director to Watch by Variety and a screen and won the Screen International Star of Tomorrow in twenty eighteen. She is on the advisory board of the Underwire Festival, which is the UK's largest film festival celebrating female film talent, which is amazing. That's so cool. I, Underwire Film Festival. That's like, I mean, name. that is a really smart name. So, yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> there's actually a lot of complicated ideas about Underwire and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then she's also a member of Cine Sisters, which is an inclusive collective of female directors making award-winning films and TV. Wow, that's so cool. Right? That's Yeah, I'd never even heard of it, but... Yeah, me neither. The UK is getting it together, and I appreciate it. All right, so, Prano, she had a pretty interesting and unique upbringing. Something that she, along with her obsession with Twin Peaks, says helped to shape her as a filmmaker. She explained in an interview with Diabolique magazine, she grew up in a very close-knit community of interesting and wonderful people. Lots of people, she explained, in the 70s and 80s moved to Wales because they were trying to get off the grid. And oh, her parents interesting. were one of them. They're Sani Hindu Hindus and followed an Indian master named Bhagwan Shri Rajnesh, who was later also known as Osho, apparently. And oh, okay. in fact, her name, Primprano, is an Indian name given to her by Bhagwan, which means lover of life. Huh. Yeah. She says, well, she learned a lot growing up this way about things like meditation and spirituality. It was never something that was forced on her by her family, was not really treated like a religion, religion. Though she did say that it helped her to kind of have a positive outlook on life. Plus, as a child, it led her to travel quite a bit. She went multiple times to India to study at an ashram. And she while she was there, she would be at, in school with children from all over the world. And she says that traveling and interacting with those kids and getting to know them on a personal level and learn about what their lives were like helped her to kind of understand both her and appreciate her own culture and her own life, but also have an understanding of how different other people's lives can be.
1: Wow, that's so cool. Can I ask yeah. how old she is just so I know? Was this the 60s and 70s? That
0: No, this is the 70s that? and 80s. Okay, gotcha. I don't actually know her age, but she looks to be maybe in her 30s. Is that a, I don't know I don't actually know <laughs> let's see let me google it it's almost like I could look it up Bailey <laughs> she's 39 there you go oh, okay gotcha so if the name Sunison sounds familiar it's likely because <laughs> there was a little Netflix documentary about uh oh that's why that sounds familiar yeah it's called wild wild country yes and you have seen it and it is about a cult That gets pretty violent (laughs) in Oregon, I guess, was that in the 80s? I think so. Yeah. I don't quite remember. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But So the leader of the place where she was growing up is the same? No.
0: Okay. No, it's the same. And she made a point of saying that, yes, it is the same sort of school of Hinduism, but it did not reflect her experience at all growing up. That's Uh, good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) She was pretty much always obsessed with filmmaking, or at least film in general, growing up. Although she thought for a long time that she would be in front of the camera as a performer, it wasn't until she was in college that she directed a play and realized that that was where her true passion really was. So she right away started taking what she learned from that experience and turned it into making films. Oh, okay. Yep. At 18, she moved to London where she got a job as a runner and studied film and video at the London College of Printing. And it was during her studies that she met Director of Photography Anika Simerson, and they began collaborating at the time. And ultimately, she would go on to be the cinematographer on Censor, which – Wow. Wow cinematography of this
1: movie is rad (laughs) yeah we
0: need to talk about that when we get into. oh we're gonna talk about (laughs) that (laughs) it was also here that prano said she learned how to kind of do it all in terms of film production and began just sort of cobbling things together with the limited resources that she was able to kind of pull together and this worked out really well for her because she made a music video house for cool fun which she did on a 160 pound budget in this uh, Yes. In an abandoned house that she got keys for. And this video actually went on to win the UK Music Video Award and got her representation as a music video director. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Like so many of the women directors that we have featured, her success really did come down to tenacity and just a gift for hustling. Right? Yeah,
1: there's really a scrappiness that it mm-hmm. seems like a lot of these women have of
0: mm-hmm. just
1: making it, finding ways to make it
0: happen. Yes. So in that same interview I, I cited before with Dialogue League magazine, she said, you have to be really self-motivated and tenacious as a filmmaker. For me, there's always been a need to create stuff. So it's built in, in a way. There are a lot of knockbacks, but what you really want to do is you've got to keep going.
1: Yeah, No, that's
0: sage advice. Right? So, from there, Prano kind of cut her teeth making music videos. That was what she did for a minute. Then she branched out into making some short films. Many, if not all of them, are available to watch on her website. So, if you want to check those out, they are very easily available. And they include a horror thriller called Nasty, which I'm guessing you can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) It was a precursor to Censor. And that screened at over 100 festivals. She did another one called Shortcut, which was made for Film Force Fright Bite short Film Series and has been screened at festivals all around Europe. Wow. Her post-apocalyptic short, Man vs. Sand, won the experimental short at the Aesthetica Short Film Festival, and The Trip won the Best Director at the Underwire Film Festival and is based on a real-life case study by Every Child Protected Against Trafficking UK and has been... Uh, used by Unchosen in screenings and events in the UK to educate police officers and other professionals on how to recognize victims of human trafficking
1: oh that's so impressive
0: right she's not just making interesting films she's making important Important. ones yeah yeah they literally might save somebody's life (laughs) so you know no pressure (laughs) All right, so despite all that, Prano said she didn't really consider herself a horror director until someone else kind of pointed it out to her. In an interview with Variety, she said, I love dark worlds, dark minds, characters who are slightly repressed, but not just in one genre. Then the first short I made was about this God-fearing woman who hasn't really lived and ends up cutting out a child's heart and eating it, as you do. <laughs> Sometime later, I had submitted for a funding application, and they phoned me up and said, we see you're a horror director, and we have a script to show you. But that was the first time I thought of myself that way.
1: Oh, that's so interesting that she didn't see that.
0: Right. Because, I mean, that's how she was sort of has right. been introduced to us. So I definitely think about her as as a horror director. So. Yeah. But it's true. How often do we define ourselves, and how often do we just sort of get defined? Yeah, do our thing, and then other people kind of define us.
1: Right, that's true. And especially with horror, there are so many movies that kind of skirt that line between genres too. So I could see how you could maybe not pin yourself down that way. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it sounds like she's just drawn to dark content because, like I said, yeah, her biggest thing growing up, she was obsessed with was. Twin Peaks and that is something I can definitely identify with (laughs) because when I was a kid I was obsessed with Twin Peaks I do think you could call it horror especially as in the second season you haven't seen it yet Ariel but as we get closer to resolving who killed Laura Palmer there's definitely some horror elements in that so that's exciting and it's really you know it's it's Uncanny and creepy, and it's David Lynch, right? Yeah. Is he a horror director? I don't know, but does he play in those same sort of sandboxes? Oh, yes. Yeah, that maybe
1: give you the same feelings. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this movie is actually Prana's first feature film, and it began with a fascination with video nasties and the moral panic in nineteen eighties Britain. She had read an article of a horror magazine. She was like on a plane reading this magazine, and. there was an article about censors working during the hammer horror era and the things that they would cut. And it led her to ask, you know, if violent films are supposed to drive a person to commit violent acts, what protects the censor from losing control? And Mm. that was really the starting point. And from there, she said, I delved into the whole subject. I'm a massive fan of some of the films that came out of the video nasty era too. That period is absolutely fascinating. And when it comes to censorship and society's reaction to horror, it was a no brainer to focus on that time.
1: Yeah, it's true. I'm actually surprised nobody has really done it before because it does seem like a natural fit.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some things like that barbarian sounds. sounds, Oh, that's true. But I think that might be more Jalo era, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like 70s as opposed to 80s and I've never seen Blowout but I think that also explores some of those same is things that the, like that's the John Travolta one right Yes where he's yeah. like doing mm-hmm. sound stuff for horror movies I'm kind of now that I've seen this I'm kind of curious to go back and watch both of those and Jody has yeah. forever been trying to get me to watch Barbarian Sound Studio so you're getting your wish girl <laughs> hope you're happy <laughs> Okay so really quickly for the Americans in the audience <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about what the video nasty Thing is all about because I mean I kind of knew going into this that it was movies that were considered too graphic to be put out or something but I didn't totally understand the situation right and it's it. what's interesting is it parallels a lot of some things that have definitely happened in the United States like around explicit music the satanic panic yeah. and the moral majority crap you know so and it's all kind of similar time period right yeah so all right The video nasties is associated with a time period of moral panic and censorship in the UK in the early 80s and the rise of VHS home video. And so basically what happened is with this technology, they did not have a system in place in order to do any ratings around VHS tapes. So they had censorship for, you know. Rating things that were getting theatrical releases but now all of a sudden basically the entire public who had a vhs or a vcr were able to see all of these movies that had either been you know rejected previously by the the theatrical censors or were uncut and had all of the content that they had deemed inappropriate for theaters were now able to see it and there was also a lot of sort of civil unrest happening there and a rise in crime. And of course, an easy scapegoat for any time you have those two things is to blame it on the media, right? Yep. We've seen this time and time again. We've seen it around video games, music, etc., etc. Yeah. Et and so this was led by a woman named Mary Whitehouse, who was sort of the leader of the what about the children moralists of that time. <laughs> And she lobbied successfully for the passage of the Video Recordings Act in 1984, which placed the British Board of Film Classifications as responsible for theatrical and video releases. All the films released on video, this went into effect for all of them, and they were resubmitted for classification. Many had to be cut or were rejected and censored completely, which is something we see our main character doing at the beginning of this film.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some of the most famous banned or cut films were Blood Feast, The Burning, Cannibal Holocaust, I Spit on Your Grave, Last House on the Left, and The Evil Dead. Of course. Uh, but there was quite a few other ones. And this went on until the board loosened its standards in in 2000. I know, that's so crazy, isn't it? Right? That's nuts. So while being banned may have been a crushing blow to some of these independent films and filmmakers back in the 80s and the 70s, it has now kind of become a little bit of a badge of honor as these things have taken on cult status when they probably may have just slipped through the cracks otherwise. Right, right. Yeah. So that's that's the background I have for that. All right. So Prana was especially interested in the experience of censors at this time, like I said, and because they were under huge pressure to draw moral lines about what was safe for the public to see. And because of the panic surrounded these films. So she wanted to make a movie about a character who embodied all of that, as well as how memories, films, reality, and fiction can all interact. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Uh, The movie itself was shot on Kodak's 35mm film with additional formats, including VHS, Super 8mm, all in an effort to kind of really give that period look that they were going for.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you how they did that cuz it looks great. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think there's a lot of after effects that you can do to try to recreate mm-hmm. that look, but it's never quite as right. good as when they you actually shoot on film because it's just what that looks like, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to try to if you just do it that way, you don't have to try to make it look that way. But it also there's a lot of added pressure to that, right? Because film film is expensive and finite. Digital is pretty much Endless, right yeah would be a lot harder Mm -hmm. that's why a lot of people have moved away from film (laughs) so anyway also for the sake of really capturing that authentic 80s look the costume design was done by saffron Coolane, who paid real attention to detail which of course you know i appreciate including sourcing underwear from the era oh wow yes even though they were never seen on camera it was important to her to get the shape of the clothes to be period correct and that is something that is overlooked so much very like you, true. You, because so much of what creates the silhouette is is the garment mm-hmm. but you have to have all of the correct underpinnings and shapes and just like the outer clothes have you know are very period specific the way that we shape women's bodies is has really changed as well through our garments whether that's girdles or bra the shape of the cup of a bra or wearing different kinds of slips things like that will change the way that clothes hang on you and really yeah. do you make a difference
1: yeah a lot of movies that are set in like the 60s 70s even the 50s they get that wrong oh, really wrong yeah.
0: and yeah. you can really tell a difference like oh, if somebody yeah. has on like a actual mary widow or a bullet bra yeah it just looks different it just looks different okay so that's pretty much what I have for this movie. As for what's next, it's not really clear what she has coming up. I, I did find an interview from a few years ago where she said, this is actually in the lead up to *Censor* going to festivals and things like that. She was working on a psychological body horror film called Womb. Ooh. <laughs> Which I'm like, yes, ticket yeah. already sold. <laughs> I'm in, <laughs> you got me. Yeah. <laughs> But for now, you can check out Sensor. It's available very easily available on video on demand. And I'll just put this out here. I think it's worth your money. Yeah. Go ahead and rent it, buy it, whatever. Yeah, I agree. All right. Shall we get into our non-spoiler reviews? Yeah, that was awesome. Was that okay? Yeah, that was great. All right, you're so good at them. Like I feel this pressure to be on your level. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just stating facts. I'm just stating facts. All right, <laughs> Ariel. How did you feel about this movie in a non-spoiler way?
1: Yeah so I really liked this movie too. It's weird and interesting and super different but I really really liked it. It is not as straightforward as I assumed it Mm -hmm. was. All I knew going into it was the one sentence sort of synopsis that you had read us at the last episode and I didn't know anything more beyond that. So I really envisioned it being sort of Different, you know, maybe more Mm -hmm. of an investigation with some horror elements. And this goes into some places I did not expect it to go and has Mm -hmm. some twists that I didn't see coming. And as somebody who watches a crap ton of movies, I always appreciate when a movie can surprise me. Yes, definitely. I also loved some of the quieter moments in this movie. There's a lot of kind of, I don't know that the word mundane is right, but the way that she's talking with her colleagues who work at the censor bureau. Just the little conversations that they're having about the movies and about their jobs. I found all of that really interesting.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, me too.
1: Yeah, and I liked, you don't get to know any of these people very well, but they feel like real people and like real conversations that somebody would have at their job if they worked doing this. I also love all the sort of schlocky, weird gore that happens yes. in movie. It's really great <laughs> and entertaining, and I can't wait to get into some of it. I love the way it was filmed. It's really creative. The way that this movie looks is super interesting, which, again, I think we'll get into more when we get into spoiler talk because I think some of the way it's filmed has a lot of meaning for the movie. Mm. And (laughs) the only other thing I would say is that the beginning of this film is fairly slowly paced, and it does also get fairly surrealistic towards the end. So it might not be for
0: everybody, Mm -hmm. but I really enjoyed it. Nice. So I'm just going to say right off the top, I think we have a new top 10 of 2020 <laughs> contender! <laughs> I really liked this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot. A lot. More than I thought I was going to, because yeah. I'm kind of, I'm having this sort of evolution around surreal movies. It, you know, this to me is an example of surrealism done right. You know, it's a- aesthetically pretty audacious, and it plays with your perception, and it it definitely tweaks the rules of reality but it also has a mystery and an emotional through line that helps to kind of ground you as an audience member and i think that is a big difference for me
1: yeah and i also think you're not totally searching for answers at the end of it which can sometimes be frustrating
0: Right, right. And we do need to talk about the ending because there are multiple yes. theories about this ending that oh, we need to discuss. okay. Because I want to know what your interpretation is when we get there. Okay. okay. So it's a weird one, for yes. sure. It's chal- <laughs> in, in some ways it's pretty challenging and it's definitely thought-provoking, especially when the credits roll and you're like, what did I just see? But it's also really intimate. And I think, again, with surreal movies, a lot of times I have trouble connecting. Mm. yeah it's presenting me with weirdness sometimes it feels like weird for weirdness sake and that to me kind of makes me withdraw as an audience member okay yeah yeah so for a really long time I think I just thought I didn't really like surreal movies I could appreciate them for their artistic merit but I didn't have a good time watching them. like I wasn't enjoying them so much as I was Having an objective, critical experience with them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I and I think I figured out that the formula is that I just, I need a character to invest in, and I need some sort of plot point, whether it's, in this case, kind of a mystery that she's solving, for me to sort of unpack and stay invested in the movie. So when the weird things happen they matter as opposed to just being like, well, that was a weird thing and it looked cool, but whatever. And I think that this movie does a good job of that. And obviously it's very well acted, very well directed, very confidently directed. I think this movie right away has a real sophistication and plays with palettes in ways that are fascinating. They talk about with comedians, They have to come out and make you laugh, and then you'll trust them to make you laugh, and then you can relax and and kind of sink into the comedy and have a good time, but they have to earn that initial trust, and I think that's true with movies, too. If you start a movie and right away you can feel this person's confidence and skill, I feel like, okay, I can just relax into this movie. And yeah. I felt that right away with this movie. Is that Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. Because I think when things are kind of off in the beginning, mm-hmm. you start to not care as much. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get invested in the same way because you're like, okay, the acting is going to be bad or the directing is weird. And I don't think the person knows exactly what they're doing. And so right. when there's a confidence there and you feel like this is going to be a well-made movie, it's easier to buy in. Yeah,
0: Definitely. And some of that it's, I think, the use of color. Some of that is little things like the period perfect costuming, which, mm-hmm. you know, I love. I love, we're going to talk into the way that she plays with the frame ratio in the film yes. as a narrative device is really fascinating. And the way that it offers you exposition without any dialogue. It's not exposition heavy, but it does kind of provide sort of a narrative language that you can follow along with and i just think it's really smart it never plays down to its audience i never felt insulted by this movie and yeah i think like you i knew sort of the one-line synopsis and i had a very particular idea of what type of movie i was going into and i was actually really pleasantly surprised that this movie has a lot more to do with something like black swan or saint maud or even i don't know if you're watching it that kevin can fuck himself movie or series no. oh it's really good oh okay it's uh it's got the daughter from Schitt's creek in it oh it's really interesting anyway okay. so like i said i feel like this movie is more spiritually on that end of the spectrum Whereas I was expecting something more like Final Girls or Cell or, you know, something where they get sucked into the movie or something. You know what yeah. I mean? I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting it to be so psychological. And that was a, a fun surprise. As for recommending it, I I find this to be pretty easy to recommend. I would say if you are intrigued by this, watch it before we spoil it for you because it's a good time. Yeah. I do think that the end of this movie, which we're going to need to talk about, could potentially be pretty polarizing. Yeah, I
1: definitely think so.
0: It doesn't offer a lot of simple answers, and I could see why certain aspects of it would be frustrating, but to me, ultimately, it served the larger theme of the movie and made me intrigued to kind of go back and watch it again and see if I could decode it even further so it worked for me. But if you're someone that really needs that definitive answer, it might be a struggle for you. That being said, I'd still watch it, though, because it's really good. <laughs> it's really good along the way. If to you a movie is how it ends, maybe be cautious going into this. But if the whole journey is a cumulative thing, I think you're guaranteed to have a good time. We're, but I, I also liked the ending. But anyway, so that's that's my non-spoilery review. I don't know. Was that spoilery? I hope not.
1: No, no, I don't think so.
0: Okay. We didn't hit any of the big points. Right. Right. And there are some big points in this. Yes. (laughs) Big axe points, you might even (laughs) say. All right. All right. So that's enough. People, you now know hopefully enough to make a decision of whether or not you're going to check it out. The answer is yes. Oh, and uh come back and we'll give you our full, full thoughts. Or if you don't care about spoilers, they're about to start. All right. We've had enough time here we go it's spoiler time ariel (laughs) let's get into this movie okay all right so tell me your spoilery thoughts about this movie what about this movie worked for you
1: should i do the synopsis first
0: ariel (laughs) (laughs) yeah girl let's hear the synopsis okay
1: Uh, So like Rachel said, Censor is set in the 80s and is about a woman named Enid who works as a film censor in the UK during a time when so-called video nasties were flooding the VHS market and causing a public outcry for more censorship. So Enid's job is to watch movies and decide what things need to be cut before being released or whether the film just shouldn't be released at all. While watching a movie, Enid is taken aback, Because a woman starring in the film looks just like her sister that went missing years earlier while the two were in the woods. Which also just happens to sort of be the same plot of the movie that she's watching. Mm -hmm. So after seeing this, Enid becomes obsessed with tracking down the director. Hoping he'll lead her to information about her sister and where she is. And she manages to find the home of the producer. Who is super creepy with Enid. Mm-hmm. And his it's so twitching.
0: hard because I love that actor so much. And then I was just like, oh, oh
1: makes your skin grow. You're too good yeah. at this. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he's very creepy. And when his sexual advances turn toward rape, Enid pushes him and he lands on a trophy and dies spectacularly, which I know we are going to talk about.
0: Oh, so good.
1: Yeah. Enid is now frantic and is trying to find out where this director is and she finds out that he is shooting a new movie so she goes to the set where the makeup artist there thinks that enid is one of the actors and she puts her in hair and makeup and in costume and they start filming her enid becomes delusional she chops up (laughs) one of the actors from the movie and then she kills the director she sure does (laughs) after that she sees the woman who she believes to be her sister who is acting in this movie she chases the woman through the woods but when she says that she's not her sister enid finally goes into sort of a surrealistic dreamscape and then the movie ends and that's
0: it yeah all right so (laughs) Like I said before, (laughs) tell me your spoilery thoughts on this movie. What did you think about this?
1: All right. Well, again, I really love this movie a lot, too. First, I really loved Enid, the actor who plays her. I think her name is Niamh Alger. Do you know if that's how you say that? It's What's that? Neve. Oh, you pronounce that as a V, huh? Yeah,
0: it's a Welsh name.
1: Ah, shit. Okay.
0: That's all right. (laughs) Listen, I mean we're dumb americans we do the best we can i don't know man but I, yeah, I, I looked it up because i, I that was had smart. a feeling I done that. Well, yeah. well because i know yeah because i know that there is some um, different use of consonants let's say right. in right. welsh names yeah, yeah yeah
1: all right well i really enjoyed her acting i think she did such a good job i think that enid is kind of impenetrable in some ways and yet you clearly know who she is as a character. Yeah. And I think that's such a fine line to walk where they're not telling you who she is, but they're showing you through her actions and her demeanor. And she just does such a good job in a lot of these scenes. There is a scene that we're going to get into where she goes into the producer's house who was super creepy with her. Uh And after he dies, there or while he's dying, I should say, there is a scene where the camera focuses on her face and really quickly you see her panic and then her try to hold back vomit because she's panicking Mm -hmm. and then sort of that ends and she's okay again. And it's done so quickly and so subtly, but you know exactly what's going on in her head. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a testament to how good this actor is.
0: I also think you can contextualize it later when we see how she self-censors. Yes. What we're essentially seeing externally we see internally later yeah and she's like i i do not accept this reality and i substitute <laughs> my own
1: right right mm-hmm. i mean and that's one of the other cool things about this film too is that it's talking so much about how you edit movies to remove these supposedly you know traumatic mm-hmm. or graphic things that are going to affect people and enid is doing the same thing to herself
0: it's much her more line. meta than you think it's gonna be yes
1: yeah yes very uh-huh. true Uh So, yeah, I really so good. All right. I love the look of this movie.
0: I mean, come on. (laughs) This movie looks amazing.
1: It's so good. And it has that sort of fuzzy, gritty quality of movies that were made of that quality during that time period. Mm -hmm. And it it does it so successfully. The lighting is amazing the wardrobe yes. choices and the way that everything is sort of these muted browns and grays and tans, mm-hmm. but then it's punctuated by glowing red and green.
0: Right. Depending on if you're in her world or yes, her, her world. Right. You know, she, she aligns herself in terms of her color palette with the drabness of her office.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: as she evolves throughout this, And she moves into these brighter sort of, you know, video nasty colors. She as well adapts some of those colors.
1: Yeah, it is. It is very, very cool. I just I love that so much. Mm -hmm. And the changing aspect ratio. Yes, it's so amazing. so cool. I have seen films use this in the past and it often just feels like trickery and like it doesn't really mean anything Mm -hmm. here. It's so effective. And what I love about it is that it doesn't just go from, you know, widescreen to then the sort of square. I'm not even sure what you call that.
0: I think it's three, four by three or something. I don't know. Sure. I probably should have looked that up.
1: Probably, I probably should have too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but instead of it just sort of switching, it, it does it really artfully. So she goes to the woods to this set and she starts talking to the makeup artist. And we go from a normal screen size to the edges you know, where you have those black bands and it sort of slowly starts moving in as she talks to the makeup artist and it pulls in more as they start filming her and it slowly over time becomes a square. And it happens so slowly that you Mm -hmm. don't even really notice the changes Mm -hmm. exactly. And then when Frederick, the director, comes in, there's sort of a flash after the death of the beast and then pop, it goes back to normal. And then again, when she starts to have that surrealistic dream sequence at the end, it goes back to the square. It's so cool. I have never seen it done
0: so well. As we go deeper into her mind, the aspect ratio follows.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's Mm -hmm. just, yeah, as she becomes sort of more delusional and more lost in that film world and her, you know, her own dreamscape kind of thing, we get that square. And then it returns when she has to go back to reality for a minute. It's...
0: I love it. I love it so much.
1: I think it's so creative. I've never seen it used that way before.
0: Right. And like I said, it's like a film language that allows for character development and exposition without exposition.
1: Exactly. It's telling you something without having to actually tell you something. It's it's very, very smart. Mm -hmm. And it's not one of those sort of director tricks that sometimes new directors use where they just want to sort of show everything they can do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's an intention. There's a lot of intent.
0: And then when I say she is a director that you feel safe with and confident, she's earned your trust, it's because you can feel the intention behind every shot selection she's making, that it all has narrative and thematic resonance, as opposed to just, it looks cool.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's real value in it, and it's Mm -hmm. not just some film school project where somebody's trying to show off all the tricks they learned. So. Right. Oh, it's so good i really I mean, love that a lot it's
0: that collaboration with her and the the cinematographer you can feel that yeah. they're very in sync right you can sense that yes. like the collaboration between oh i them. hope
1: they keep working together because it, it really is a mm-hmm. brilliant part of this movie
0: yeah definitely
1: all right so like i said in the non-spoiler talk i also loved the great gory stuff in this yeah. there's so much cool fun Gore that really points back to the movies that she's referencing. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the death of the pro- producer guy. Okay. <laughs> so I love this scene so much. It's one of probably one of my favorite death scenes I've ever seen, honestly, because. Ooh,
0: that is a bold
1: save. I know it is. I know it is. But I just think it's so much fun because. When she pushes this guy and he lands on this trophy, it's not just any trophy. It's essentially a final girl with an axe in yes. her hand. Yes. And he falls and it punctures through the back of his head and out through his mouth. Yeah, it's gruesome. And what you see is the final girl sticking out with the axe yeah. through his mouth with blood spurting out. Oh, my God. It's mm-hmm. so good. It's so yes. good.
0: Yep. I mean, yes, and it speaks like a whole bunch of things. We can get very men, women, and chainsaws about yeah, like course. penetration after. Yep. <laughs> we can also go to <laughs> it's foreshadowing, right? Because she becomes that yeah, statue. That.
1: Yep, exactly. Depending yeah, on your
0: interpretation of the ending, she—that that is a foreshadowing of who she is to become. Even though she has not wielded the axe yet, this is the moment where she transitions from being, you know, the very controlled Enid to our. Really maniac yes. <laughs> that would fit in nicely in a video nasty <laughs> yeah it's, you know, it's so good and i mm-hmm. just have to
1: say i hate cgi blood with a passion i yeah. hate it so much and i love seeing the real stuff and it just it looks so cool here it's yeah. it's so well done yeah and like most of the things in this movie like you were just saying it has meaning to the plot itself and to the character development and yeah. so even though you're watching something that's just very schlocky and fun, it yeah. adds to it, too. Mm-hmm. It adds layers. And then later, when she chops the beast guy, I think that's what they call him, right? The beast? Yeah, the beast, the actor. yeah. Mm-hmm. She chops him in the chest with mm-hmm. an axe. And it's, <laughs> again, it's great. And he falls backwards, and his head lands in a television. <laughs>
0: It's so good. It's it's very video drone. Yes. It is very video drone. You can see these reference points that she's. Well, making. I mean that, and she's hacked a giant vagina into his chest
1: again. She sure has, and it has like a face and everything, and she hacks it. That's yeah. It's it's very cool. Very
0: very cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just loved all of that so much. It's so entertaining and fun and again, and yet it works in the context of what's happening in the film and what's happening to this character. So Right. I just enjoyed that so much. Yeah. Yeah, and then we can talk about the ending after you give some of your thoughts too. Sure. But I definitely want to talk about that.
0: Yeah. So something we talked a little bit at the beginning in our our non-spoiler was just how we had certain expectations of this movie and it was great mm-hmm. that they were they were not met. Yeah. And in particular, I think you have a idea of what a movie about a horror movie censor is going to be right. like when it's made by a horror movie director. There's a particular narrative or attitude towards the person that you're expecting. And I feel like, despite the fact that this is per- a person who is a censor, and someone who's censoring this genre, that Enid is never seen any as anything other than sympathetic and it it really speaks to the fact that what prano is interested in talking about here is something different than just is censorship wrong right i think that's a worthy conversation to have be having but it is a conversation that has been had the idea of delving into the impact And the motivation that someone would have for wanting to be a censor and how, in this case, it is a result of past trauma is really interesting. And I appreciate how much more psychological this approach is. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't expect that. Right. That The censorship thing, I think we automatically villainize censors. And I think there's lots of historical reason and precedent to do so. But I do think that not everyone who does this is coming from an evil place. And so it's interesting that it comes in the case of Enid from this like, true desire to protect other people and also to explore the ways that we censor our own minds. And I mean, we all do it, right? Sometimes I wish I could censor even more things in my mind. I don't really <laughs> yeah. want to remember that time. I made a really embarrassing phone call to you, a boy, like in high school. <laughs> I would like to censor that so I do not remember it at 3 a.m. tonight. However, I know that there are other things, really painful things, that my brain just compartmentalizes. And so I, I kind of like that we took that concept and put it in this historical perspective, I think, is really interesting. To the point where we see her at when she censors her mind, literally pull out her tool the tool she uses to censor films yeah and it's just really it's really cool metaphor and then pulling it into a literal place when things get surreal is an interesting approach i really feel like i understood like you said she is a little bit repressed and so very contained but i still felt like i definitely understood her as a character and why should be she would be drawn to this
1: Yeah, I think her motivations are clear, even though you don't necessarily know a ton about who she is.
0: Yeah, there's sort of like a repeating thing about censoring your memories, like the trauma of censoring out what happened to her sister, but how that actually is kind of exacerbating her trauma is interesting. And how if you actually think about the series of events in this movie, she's pretty together at the beginning, but then she has the... Meeting with her parents where they're going to declare her daughter, her her sister dead in absentia, which is kind of the death of hope that maybe her sister will come back. She can process her guilt a lot easier with there being hope that maybe she's not gone, but it's been like 15 years, so it's reasonable to assume she's dead. And then we have the situation where there's a copycat killer, someone who kills his whole family and then claims to have amnesia following the crime of a movie that she had let through. And she really keys in on this idea of like you really think he couldn't remember because those are all sort of building blocks that put her in a place psychologically that where when she sees that film that has some similarities to the memories that she does have of her childhood really kind of push her over the edge and really w- you start to see the scenes right right it's not something that happens suddenly in the movie we really do get a progression a logical progression of how this could be chipping away at someone so that when things kind of unfold you can go along with enid and still feel sympathetically about her and understand her throughout the runtime, time which i think is really important because again This movie is going to throw a lot of things at you that don't make sense. So having that connection to Enid, I think, is how you stay invested in this movie.
1: Right. And we're from her perspective for the entire movie. She's in basically every scene of this movie. And so I feel like if you didn't have a way to connect with her and to understand what she's going through psychologically, the movie wouldn't work at all.
0: I, when I was watching this, I was kind of thinking a lot about Aronofsky with things uh-huh. like Black Swan and Mother and the way that this movie really lives in her face, which yeah. I enjoy. But also kind of by way of Bava, which is the 60s, 70s with all of the colors and is sort of a master of that sort of visual surrealism. And I really kind of got this sense that you you can really feel how much Prana loves the genre. And then obviously, as someone who loves the Satanic Panic, anything about the Satanic Panic, this is kind of similar. It's like the yeah. British version of that. So that just really resonated with me because that's just a concept that I always find interesting and I and I liked seeing those parallels.
1: Yeah, I thought what the what was really cool too is that instead of sort of just telling us about this, she doesn't assume that you know it, but the way that she lets you know what's happening is by showing you news reports in the background and newspaper headlines and things like that. So I thought that was really good. Just the way it sort of peppered Mm -hmm. in.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like thatcher speeches and whatnot. You're like, shutter. (laughs) But yeah, I I also really appreciate all of the breadcrumbs, right? You are shown a lot of things throughout this. And if you pay close attention, there's a lot of foreshadowing and lots of context clues, which is why I think a second viewing of this is going to be fascinating
1: yeah you're probably
0: right because there's going to be visual things that happen at the end that tie back to smaller little moments earlier in the film so should we talk about the end or do you have anything else you want to get into no no let's talk about the end all right so what is your interpretation of what happened at the end of this movie
1: so i thought what happened was that she actually kills the beast and the director okay and then she sort of loses herself into a world of delusion at the end okay. so that she can be home with her family and her sister.
0: Got it. What do you think happens to Amy Lee?
1: She gets away, doesn't she?
0: So That's interesting. All right. So some oh. of the interpretations are that everything you happen literally happens, except for at the end, if you watch carefully, kind of like at the end of St. Maude, there's brief flickers where you can see the reality
1: There are. How did I not notice
0: that? You'll see her screaming in the car or screaming help when she's running up to the parents and you'll see the parents with a look of horror on their face. And then... Damn, I need to watch that again. Yeah, I mean, they're very quick. And the color palette changes from that bright sort of colorful to really washed out gray, gritty, like the Kipsy tape style. (laughs) Yeah, it's really distinct. So do you
1: think she kills her too then?
0: I don't think she kills her. I think she brings her home to her parents
1: oh i see what you're saying yeah
0: and oh, if, that's and if you remember when she's in the video store she sees a video cover yeah where there's a family under a rainbow and that's our final shot right right so that leads other people to believe that either she did not kill the producer what? that when we okay. saw her face change she le- she left Or he did actually sexually assault her and she had a break with reality. Huh. Okay. Or that everything that happens after she does accidentally kill the producer is in her own mind. Because she's Hmm. sitting there staring at that static screen. Yeah. And we see her and you go into the screen. And then everything that happens after that. I mean, there's strange coincidences, right? That she would be able to get on the set and be mistaken for the person and that there'd be a newspaper with her on the cover of the newspaper and all the things that the director says to her about take control of your narrative and that she could kill two grown men with two other grown men just standing by all of those things i guess seem that's true far-fetched. i guess i just
1: assumed that that was reality
0: because hmm. except for that the visual language of the film could be interpreted as that's dream world yeah. I, my personal interpretation is that everything we saw happened, but it has a veneer over it, which she is the unreliable narrator for, and right. that we get I mean, that peaks of reality. Yeah. The other the other evidence that people point to as being this didn't really happen is that the decapitation of the director is exactly like the decapitation that she at the very beginning of the movie that she's like leave it in it's so ridiculous no one would believe it. Yeah. And the movie that she's in is exactly like the movie that she was watching that don't go into church, the church. It's it, same exact setting, same exact people. It's so similar that it's the, oh, like damn, she's I wearing the same dress. Time now. That's what yeah. I'm saying. So I, my first watch feeling was, like I said, that these things happened, but where she's a bit of an unreliable narrator. Like I said, it was St. Maude where you see flashes of the truth. That's how I saw it.
1: I thought some of the things that were happening, like the decapitation and the the chest thing, were sort of visual language from the director referencing other movies. And that there was, and that she, yeah, she's an unreliable narrator. She's not in her right mind at that point when these things happen.
0: Right. And that she has her complete disconnect from reality when Amy Lee is like, I'm not your sister. I have a sister. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was my interpretation as well, but I do think there are some cracks. Sure, <laughs> that you sure. could have an alternate interpretation of. So I was curious where where you went with it. So we were has like, has the director
1: said anything about?
0: Menden? So she has not definitively said. She's okay. basically implied that she is an unreliable narrator.
1: Yeah,
0: and that you should pay attention to color palettes, things like that, because they are sort of your key into what is real and Hmm. what is not. Okay. So that could, but that could simply be her talking about the change of color palette in the drive home with, with Amy in the car, or it could be larger, like that entire third act. And I think you could easily argue your way into either side. And that's why I was saying, I think it's going to be polarizing for people, especially since we never find out what happened to the sister. But I kind of right. think that's the point. I think not finding out what happened to the sister it basically puts us a little bit into the same situation and the same sort of experience that Enid is having that dissatisfaction yeah, I mean, of and not part of what's knowing the answer her psychologically is mm-hmm. that she doesn't
1: know. If we had a, an answer then that it wouldn't make sense.
0: Yeah. And so on one hand, do I want to know? You know, some people think, "Oh, Enid killed her sister." I don't think that that's mm-hmm. true. But I could see if you want a clean final answer finding that to be frustrating that it was such yeah. an important plot point but I don't know I kind of get thematically why the movie makes you live in that dissatisfaction because I think it it ultimately helps to create even more empathy and understanding for Enid when she gets to the end right right because if that's not her sister she's never going to get an answer and and that the answer is locked away in her own mind and she can't find it yeah and i think that that frustration and that dissatisfaction is something that the movie kind of emulates and to me that made it satisfying i don't know if that makes sense because i feel like i got character and thematic resolution even if i didn't get a plot point resolved because ultimately that was less important to me that's all
1: really interesting and i i think i'm gonna have to watch it a second time because i'm really curious to see the ending again and to Mm -hmm. see what things i missed especially the idea that she maybe kidnapped the actor to bring her home to her parents
0: you should definitely watch that part yeah
1: yeah because i clearly missed something there because i was flashes yeah i was viewing it it felt similar to me to the ending of the love witch a little bit you know oh yeah definitely i mean there's definitely some stuff where she you know kind of gets lost in this dream world and separates herself from reality so I, I yeah I miss the other stuff and now I'm very curious to see it again
0: yeah it's just very single double like two frames or something yeah of yeah. her screaming but the color palette changes she'll be smiling and then she'll be screaming and then smiling again okay, okay. like that kind of thing it's really effective definitely watch it and let me know what you think <laughs> okay because yeah I I mean for now until I watch it a second time my interpretation is as stated Right. But I feel like this is a movie that can be revisited and the more we talk about it, the more we unpack, the more clues are probably hidden in earlier parts of the movie like the VHS cover ending right the, we you know the trophy having a, a woman holding a an axe, the decapitation at the beginning, different bits of di- you know those early dialogue things you yeah. talked about or like they're just discourse between coworkers. but they there's, actually have a, there's actually more meaning yeah. there's actually stuff in there there's yeah. a lot of stuff about how she's like i've got to make th- i can't get this wrong i've got to get this right cut it you know yeah th- that kind of speaks to her attitude at the end of this movie like i didn't get it right i gotta cut it
1: mm-hmm. and she does
0: that there's also the thing about when she gets the other movie by that director the guy tells her yeah you know here's the movie But somebody taped over the last, you know, the third act with another movie. I mean, that's essentially what she does in the final. Yeah, that's true. So there's Mm -hmm. lots of little breadcrumbs and clues that I did pick up. I'm certain there's 50 more that I didn't. Yeah. That's a short movie. The rewatchability of this one, I think, is pretty high. Plus, it's an enjoyable watch. Mm-hmm. you know what i yeah, mean like I sometimes you'll watch a movie and you're like i know there's more to this but uh, i don't know if i'm gonna do this again like, <laughs> this is a, yeah. this one is an, an easy one i could totally go back and watch this one a second time second or third time for sure yeah i really like this movie a lot
1: <laughs> i can tell
0: yeah i mean i know i'm the easier one of the i'm the nicer critic of the <laughs> two of us but i don't care i really i liked it okay i thought yeah, it was really too, really good All right. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? Any, uh, oh, sorry, any cons? Did you have any cons? I mean, I think I just reiterate the fact that
1: it's an art house film. Mm -hmm. It's got a surrealistic ending. It's kind of offbeat. And so that might just not be everybody's cup of tea. But again, I really enjoyed it. And then part of me kind of wished there was even more of the gore stuff happening in the movie just because I enjoyed it so much. But I don't know that that's really a con. It's just like I wish there was more of that. And I think that when I was in the middle of watching it, I was like, I want more of the investigation, more of the mystery, just because naturally that's what I'm drawn to. Yeah, of course. But I don't actually think you necessarily need it in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think these were not cons for me, but these are notes of caution for people, depending on your taste, which is that it is very much an art house film. And it requires some patience and thought. And the end is polar- could be potentially be polarizing. Right. None of those things are an issue for me. And so if you find that our tastes kind of are similar in movies, you can go into this one with confidence, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. So – if you want to drop us a line, you can do so at Rachel at zombiegirls.com. You can come chat with us over on the zombie girls, Facebook page. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple podcast or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It makes a big difference and it's a great way that you can help us out. If you were looking for something spooky to watch tonight, you know, and uh, you've already watched sensor, then you should check out our video on demand calendar on the zombie girls website, where we keep track of all of the horror and horror adjacent things that are streaming and on video on demand And if you like video games and you want to hang out with us there, we have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash zombie girls. And if you want to look really cool on your next date or and or activity, or if you just want to do some self-love and look hot in your own home, you can get some of our sweet, sweet merch at (laughs) tpublic.com forward slash zombie dash girls dash podcast. And finally, if you love us, if you don't just like us, you love us and you want to support us, we have a Patreon and it comes with lots of sweet ass perks. First of all, you get extended episodes. What are we talking about on our extended episode this time?
1: We are going to be talking about real true crime missing person cases.
0: Ooh. Okay. I heard that. I don't know if this is true, but the people that listen to podcasts like true crime. (laughs) <laughs> so i think we can break some ground really be trailblazers and do some true crime on our podcast
1: yeah nobody's ever done
0: it before. right, right? i can't believe no one's done it before it's wild <laughs> wild oh, i hope we can stay sexy and not get murdered <laughs> 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 anyway <laughs> we're gonna do our version of some true crime that'll be fun and make sure you stay tuned after the music to hear a sneak peek of this episode's special patrons only extension but that's just one of the many things you can do to me the thing i keep talking about i keep mentioning this because i honestly think it's so fun is if you are a patron you get to join our discord and we have a
1: really good time
0: our discord is popping more people join they're funny y'all crack me up on like sometimes work is stressful and i'm bummed and i go to my discord and it's all my favorite people saying interesting things and you should join us and say interesting things with us. So, yeah, that's it. That's my plug for Patreon. Let's move on. We do want to talk about our plans for the next episode though, before we wrap up. So, Ariel, I'm going to turn it over to you. What are what, what are we doing on the next episode?
1: <laughs> so, we are going to have a very special guest on our episode. We are going to have Caitlin Grant, who is the host of the Plug It Up podcast. That's the name ever. I know I know they have a great theme song too <laughs> <laughs> so their podcast is all about horror movies with a focus on the monstrous menstruation trope mm-hmm. it's really interesting it's really good if you haven't started listening to this podcast you should check it out immediately, immediately. and go subscribe
0: immediately yeah, it- hit them up on instagram do all the things
1: yeah, it's super insightful, and they're very funny and charming. I think you guys would really like it. And she is going to come on, and we're going to review the
0: movie Raw together. <sighs> this is the movie <laughs> I've been dreading. <laughs> See, this is this is a reversal. When we had the the ruined gals on, we made you watch Pet Cemetery, the greatest movie. <laughs> now you guys are going to make me watch Raw. So this will be this is a this is a source of trauma for me. But I for you and Caitlin, I will do it. That's how okay. much I love you, ladies. So, <laughs> now for me, this is actually going to be a first watch.
1: So, I'm excited
0: about that. I think you're going to really like it. You're not as sensitive about things, certain things yeah. as I am. And so, I was so rattled by one particular type of content that is sprinkled throughout <laughs> okay. this movie that I felt my analytical brain turned off when I watched it the first time. But now I'm prepared. I'm ready to dig in. I'm ready to go there, and this is definitely something that's probably really good that I'm being pushed to watch. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, me too. It's gonna be great. Uh, hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did we say what the movie was? I don't even know. Yeah, raw. Okay, okay. Directed by yeah. Julie DeCornell. is that right? DeCornell? It is the it, listen, At least in this case, it is the it is the name of my people. So if I'm messing it up as a, a you know. As a chateau, <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> as guilty about it. Yeah, Julia Decor now. Oh is my, that what you said? Are you impressed that I pulled that out of my head? I am very impressed. All right, drop the synopsis <laughs> on us while you're in the, in the IMDb's.
1: All right, so this one is directed by Julia Decorne, and it is about a young woman who's studying to be a vet, and she develops a craving for human flesh. So that should be really fun. Yes. Or disturbing, or both. We'll
0: los dos. <laughs> <laughs> all right so on that note ariel why don't you take us out all right thanks for listening to
1: our review of sensor and we cannot wait for you guys to be back here with us in two weeks for our review of raw with caitlin grant from the plug it up podcast we'll see you then bye
0: guys bye everybody thanks everybody for listening and to my co-host and good friend ariel for always teaching me something new Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Chardon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly After Dark. Ooh, the <laughs> spookiest show. No, I'm just kidding. If you're here, it's because you're awesome and you're one of the family members, and you get to hear all of the extended goodness. This was terrible. Let me start again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's fine. It was? Yeah. I just felt very lost. Uh, I don't know. Maybe leave it all in. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Full disclosure. We recorded our sensor episode. We had a little snafu with the extended. Just a touch. Just a little touch. So we say we had to do a separate recording but we have just finished like a five hour recording for the zombie girls so <laughs> we're a little bit dead <laughs> yeah i feel like i have taken a xanax or something. i don't know i right. feel like out of body a little bit because i've been talking about parasites for the last five hours <laughs> um So yeah, Mm -hmm. so we'll see what this looks like. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's fun to listen to, but you never know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Ariel, you got to be the boss lady of this extended episode. So what do you want to talk about? Yeah, so
1: since we watched the movie Censor and the background of that movie is about a missing young woman, I decided to look into real life missing persons cases and thought
0: I would share some with you okay i like a missing person situation i a lot of times like i love a true crime podcast in general like that is definitely Mm -hmm. i'm i am that kind of basic Mm -hmm. um but one of the things that's so frustrating often with the missing persons ones is that you never get any resolution yes that is going to be a theme oh good i'm glad i set it up this way then so i'm like so i'm gonna hate this so please proceed i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, no, no, no. I, I, the, the mystery in and of itself is cool. Like, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with that Anastasia.
1: You oh, uh-huh. Anastasia? yes, I the, do. The, like,
0: Russian princess or whatever. Yeah, um, I had to
1: be her in an acting class that I took in junior high. And I had a panic attack on stage and forgot every single line that I ever oh. memorized. It no was, it was terrible one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life probably
0: do you do you get stage fright typically or was that like a like a like how are you with public speaking
1: i'm fine with public speaking if i know what i'm talking about but i was never good at acting i just thought it would be a fun class to take where it didn't matter if i did well in it you know like an and then you grade. realized
0: your success and failure was actually in front of an audience yep sure did <laughs> <laughs> this is that interesting oh, like yeah. oh, you're yeah. like i feel like uh, i missed the loophole here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, public failure <laughs> uh,
1: yeah it was it was no good
0: i'm surprisingly terrified of public speaking which i know is weird considering i podcast constantly i wonder it's now if i would though. be better at it now that I I've bet done you so much speaking
1: hmm, yeah
0: i don't know <laughs> like, when i took <laughs> speech class in college it was grim
1: Yeah. I've told you there's a VHS
0: floating around of (laughs) one of my speeches. I love this. Yeah. Where oh my God, I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast at some point over the years. But you one of the speeches was instructional with visual aids, and then they videotaped it so that you could see what your sort of habits were right because they want you to learn to look at the whole like are you someone who just like only looks to the right or only looks down or okay just various things that you can do that you don't realize you're doing um when you have nerves so i watched it i remember thinking like oh that speech went well like people liked it i did a thing on um how to mix drinks uh huh. I couldn't bring drinks in, so I just had like slides, essentially. Okay. Gotcha. And I I remember like people laughing at all the right points and like feeling like pretty good about my speech after having bombed a few, you know. So I was uh-huh. like, all right, yeah, I'm getting this. <laughs> so then I go home and I pop it on, only to discover, oh, I have a like a <laughs> physical. I don't know what you call it. Not a tick, but like a. Is it a tick? Is that the right word? Uh, sort a, of. A behavior. I yeah. have a behavior <laughs> that I do when I'm nervous, and I was horrified to discover that that behavior is spanking my own ass. <laughs>